Welcome to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, hosted by Noah Schwartz. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Schwartz on Sports podcast, episode number 21 of the show. Here today, brought to you by the Belly Up Podcast Network. I am your host, Noah Schwartz. A busy, busy episode coming up for you guys today. A lot to get into. I will start with Tiger Woods and talk about that really unfortunate, sad situation. One of the most tragic, uh, breaking news stories that has come out in the sports world in a very long time. Then I'll head into the NBA, talk a little bit about the all-star rosters that came out a couple days ago, uh, as well as the Boston Celtics. I want to talk a lot about them and their failures so far here in the early season. And then finally talk a little bit about the Mariners and the breaking story that came out a few days ago regarding their former CEO, Kevin Mather, and the horrible and insensitive comments that he made uh, in a public session recently. So we'll talk all about that. But let's begin with Tiger, because there has been nothing uh, in the news that has been more important this week than the situation regarding Tiger Woods. Obviously, he was in a car accident in California a few days ago. Uh, It was a pretty bad car accident, a single vehicle collision. He was then pulled out from the uh, scene by firefighters. There's been some debate over whether they used the uh, Jaws of Life tool to get him out or whether it was maybe a little bit uh, less stressful and painful than that. Uh, That's up for debate. But either way, they took him to a hospital where he has been uh, for the last few days now. He had surgery. He had a lot of injuries, especially to his lower body, including his legs. Uh, But apparently Tiger has been awake and he has been responsive uh, to some degree, so that's good, and it doesn't look like any of the issues are, at least at this point, life-threatening. So thank God uh, Tiger will at least be able to make some sort of a recovery uh, in the coming months. But as for his golf career, I mean, who knows at this point? I mean, everyone's already been talking about it in the media for the last few days. Who the heck knows with what Tiger, what Tiger's future may be in the sport of golf? Now, you can debate his legacy. You can debate whether he's necessarily the greatest guy morally in the world. But what's undeniable is that this guy is, if not he's, if he's not the greatest golfer of all time, he's in the top two or three. And he completely changed the perception of the sport of golf over the last 25 years or so. Uh, he's 45 now. He's been around since the late 1990s. I want to say his debut was in 96 as a professional. Uh, and he took the golf world by storm, really from the moment he became a pro. And he won a ton of majors. He's uh, right near the top of the list all time uh, for major title wins. He may well end up getting there if he actually comes back and, and recovers from this. But it's just such an unfortunate situation to see one of the great athletes of my lifetime now in a position where he may never get to play again. And I thought he was going to be able to win at least one more major, possibly you know, even two, three, four majors more just because he's been such a great golfer for so long. I'm not going to be one to doubt Tiger Woods. Uh, What he did at the Masters a couple years ago when he won, it was one of the great sports moments that I can remember in the last 15 years. And I'm not the biggest golf fan in the world. I watch it when when the Masters and, and some of the other major tournaments are on. But when he won, it was unbelievable because the comeback he had had, I think it was an 11 year drought uh, between major titles for Tiger. Incredible. So again, really unfortunate situation. 
there's not much more else I can say besides that. It was heartbreaking to hear this news when it came out a couple days ago, and he's been in my thoughts all week. It actually brought me back at the very uh, first few moments that I heard about it to the Kobe Bryant uh, accident because there's just such a comparison uh, for me to those two guys, two of the greatest athletes of, of this century, uh, two guys who are African-American, who were icons within their sport, getting into really bad accidents in California. Now, obviously, one took Kobe's life. This hasn't or doesn't look like it will for, for Tiger, but... I didn't know what was going to happen in the beginning, and, and that's really what, what came into my brain as soon as I heard about this. So I'm just praying for Tiger. I hope he's all right. Uh, he, I hope he comes back better from this. I hope he can play golf again. If he can't, he's given us so many memories over the last 25 years, and uh, I, to me, he's the greatest golfer of all time. One of the greatest athletes of all time, but definitely the greatest golfer. So that's all I'll say about Tiger. Again, just hope he's doing he's doing well in the hospital and that he's able to at least recover, learn how to walk again, and live a normal life at some point soon. All right, on to NBA All-Star rosters. We have an NBA in which, and I love the All-Star game, love the All-Star game. We have rosters that are just too small. And if you saw the list of reserves that came out a few days ago, they named seven on each side, in addition to the five starters. And I'm not going to get into get into it with anyone about whether they got the, the 14 reserves right. Personally, I think they messed up on a couple. I thought Devin Booker should have been on the team over Zion Williamson. I, I would not have voted for Zion. Um, I thought that in the Eastern Conference, DeMontis Sabonis deserved a spot. He didn't get one. But I'm not going to debate you know, who deserves it and who doesn't. Everyone who was on those teams was at least worthy of consideration. Whoever the coaches ended up voting for, I'm fine with it. They got it mostly right. But this, there's more to this story than just, oh, you know, Chris Middleton was snubbed off the team. Oh, Tobias Harris didn't make the team. Oh, Zion snuck onto the team as one of the last spots. There's far more to this story than just who's on the All-Star team this year and who's going to be participating next weekend. We have two small rosters now. 12 guys per All-Star team? It seems like the NBA roster every year gets bigger and bigger and bigger. 15 guys now, plus two-way contracts. So it's really like 17 guys. And I've heard a potential discussion for, especially this year with the COVID, about upgrading that number to 18. And yet we only have 12-man All-Star rosters. It's crazy to me. It makes no sense. So this is a topic that to me isn't discussed enough. And to me, people in the national media and those who cover the NBA full-time, they should be complaining more about this. Because I am a fan of honoring the great players in every sport. I see no reason as to why we should hold back on that. We should want to honor the guys who are, who are worthy and have put up great numbers. And in the NBA today, with 24 all-star spots, there's more than 24 deserving players. There just is. And the, the, the margins between the guys who made it and some of the guys who didn't make it is so small that it's hard to make a case for one guy over another. I feel like everyone's worthy of being an all-star as long as you're in that category. So to me, we've got to upgrade these things to 15 and it's something that we don't talk about enough, but it's so old-fashioned and antiquated, the whole system that the NBA uses to put these teams together. And they've changed it a little bit in terms of how much the fan vote counts for the starters, and now the fact that the coaches vote for the reserves and the media is involved uh, in the starters as well. They get 25% of the vote, I think. Um, but we got to upgrade these things. we got to make them bigger. we got to make this whole process of voting and, and finding who our all-stars are better. Because at the end of the day... This has sort of become a popularity contest. 
And I get it. You want to see the best players. You want to see the most popular names. But it's a joke to me that Damian Lillard didn't get the starting spot over Luka Doncic. And Luka admitted it himself in a, in a press conference a few days ago. He essentially said, yeah, I think Dame was more deserving than I was to get the starting spot. And on the bench, there were certain guys that I just didn't agree with. I said Sabonis. I mean, look at Sabonis' numbers this year. 21 and a half points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists. And this is from a power forward, a 6 foot 10, 6 foot 11 guy. 21 and a half, 12 and 6. He's shooting 53% from the field, 35% on a relatively large number of three-point attempts per game, about three threes. He's been great. He's the best player on a team that's going to be in the playoffs, a team that's underachieved a little bit, but a team that's going to be in the playoffs uh, in the Indiana Pacers. There's no reason why he shouldn't be an all-star. And the guy that he got snubbed for, which I would argue would be Nikola Vucevic, who's like 24 points and 12 rebounds or so, he's had an unbelievable season, his best season ever, and this will be his second all-star appearance. But he's on a team that isn't going to the playoffs. And I'm not saying that Vucevic isn't a worthy all-star. I'm just saying that both guys, to me, have had such great years. Why not put them both on the team? Why not expand these rosters? Why not make it bigger so we can honor more of the best players in the league? It makes no sense not to. And it's funny because the NBA, to me, is such an adaptable league. Whenever things ultimately change, they're always at the forefront. They've been at the forefront of the social justice movement because that's obviously been uh, something that, that a lot of people have gotten into recently. Uh, the NBA this year, they weren't supposed to have an all-star game until about a month ago when they realized that, uh, for whatever reason, probably money, that they thought it was worth doing. And they hopped on the bus to Atlanta, and here they are, they're going to have an all-star game. They're very quick to adapt and change whenever uh, changes need to be made. They, they've brought in the challenge rule recently. Uh, they've changed some other rules. So I thought it's made all the sense in the world to, to change these all-star rosters for a while, and they've never done it. And it's so funny because, and, and credit to CBS on this, I saw an article earlier today. If you look at the history of the NBA All-Star Game, which has been going on since the 1950s, they've hardly ever changed the number of spots, even though the number of teams has changed dramatically. So get this. In 1970 and 71, which was 50 years ago, the NBA had 17 teams. which It's 13 less teams than we have now. They had 28 All-Stars back then. That's 14 per conference. That's almost 15% of the NBA players made it onto the All-Star game. How about in the 80s, 1980? Back then, there were 23 teams, 22 All-Stars. Okay, that's, that's almost 9% of players that made it. That's 10 years after 1971. And that number has significantly decreased each time. So in 1990, only 7.4% of players, 24 guys made it. 2000, 6.8% of players made it. Uh, 2011, 5.3% of players made it. And now this season, only 4.7%. So we have gone from what was at an all-time high in 1960, where there were eight teams with 22 All-Stars. That's a quarter of the league. That's 25%. And now it went from 25% all the way to 5%, or just under 5%, in 60 years. It's ridiculous. The more teams you have, the more players you have, the more all-stars you should name. It shouldn't become all of a sudden that much more impossible to make an all-star game. And by the way, from 20 years ago, not to mention 50 years ago or 60 years ago, the NBA players today are just better. Guys are just better. Guys are scoring more. Guys are making threes like they never have before. 
guys are, are, are more talented defensively than they've ever been. They're more skilled than they've ever been. The game's more physical than it pretty much has ever been. So we shouldn't be making it harder to make an all-star game. If anything, we should be making it easier, making the guys who are worthy of it going to that, going to that, uh, that all-star game and, and getting the honor and the, the privilege to go. So there are plenty of players that I would have considered. Some of them didn't make it this year. I feel for those guys. But you could put together three all-star teams based on guys who are worthy. Seriously, you could have the, the Team LeBron, the Team Kevin Durant, and the Team Noah. And it would include Mike Conley and Tobias Harris and Sabonis uh, and Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry and Chris Middleton didn't make it and Jeremy Grant didn't make it. Shake Gildas Alexander didn't make it. Trey Young didn't make it. There are so many guys who are worthy who didn't make it. De'Aaron Fox. So let's increase these things. Let's make it easier to make an all-star game, and let's honor the players who are truly worthy of it in our sport. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Schwartz on Sports here, episode number 21. Belly Up Sports has recently partnered with Manscaped because proper grooming requires precision-engineered tools. Not only do men's sensitive areas require it, but hygiene demands it. Get all the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Head over right now to bellyupsports.com, and at the top of the page, click the Manscaped image and shop. Make sure you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY to save 20% off your order. That's the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY to save 20% off your order. Welcome back. Episode number 21 here on Schwartz on Sports, presented by the Belly Up Podcast Network. And as you just heard in that last ad, presented by Manscaped. Now, if you haven't seen the new Manscaped commercial featuring uh, Lakers guard Alex Caruso, I definitely recommend you go and see it. It's terrific. Uh, I'm a big Alex Caruso fan. Uh, I love what he's about, the defense, the hustle, uh, the energy that he brings to the Lakers every single night. And for a guy who came out of Texas A&M, was undrafted, looked like he had a very slim path to make it in the NBA, he has carved out quite a career for himself. He's now an NBA champion. He's a rotation player on one of the best teams in the NBA. And now he's in a nationally televised commercial for Manscaped. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Anyway, let's talk about the biggest rival of the Lakers, and that's the Boston Celtics, obviously. They have been an abject disaster so far this season. And... I'm not surprised by it, necessarily. And if you remember, I brought on my friend Jeremy Goldstein, another Ithaca College student. This had to have been probably close to two months ago, just prior to the start of the season. And we were talking about the NBA, and I said to him that there was one team uh, from last year's uh, elite teams in the Eastern Conference that I was just not high on. And I said that I was not high on the Celtics. I would not be surprised if they had their struggles this year. Now, I didn't think they'd be 15 and 17 bad, but I thought they would have some issues. And the reason I said that was because I just didn't think they had uh, enough good players. And I have proven to be right on that 100%. Now, if you look at this roster, there are a lot of really young guys on it. And most of them are, are quite talented, to be honest with you. Robert Williams, Grant Williams, uh, Peyton Pritchard, the rookie, uh, Romeo Langford. They have a lot of talent among their recent first-round draft picks. The problem is... None of those guys hardly, or really, I should say, rarely see the floor. Most of those guys are out of the rotation, and if they're in the rotation, they get their 10 to 15 minutes per game, and that's about it. So they're heavily reliant on three or four guys. And so far this season, 
the four of them have hardly been healthy together at one time. So that's Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, and then obviously Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They're two all-stars this year. Those are their four best players, and when those four guys are not clicking on all cylinders, this team has essentially no chance. There's very little depth. There's very little veteran uh, veteran presences off their bench. Uh, they just don't have enough experience playing in big games with most of their young guys. And so if it's not coming from their top four, it's not coming from anybody. Daniel Tice is their center. He's a decent player, I guess. Uh, Tristan Thompson has seen better days. He's still usable. But their backup point guard has been Jeff Teague, who's been around the block for a while, and he looks awful this year. He's having an abysmal season. And outside of those guys, really not too many veterans on this team at all, and guys who are carry, uh, capable of carrying any sort of significant load uh, for any long period of time. And again, this doesn't surprise me that they're struggling. I didn't think they'd be this bad. But hey, you know what? When you put together a roster with this level of youth on it, and you expect it to go out and win big games in the NBA, this is probably what's going to happen to you. So I blame this all on Danny Ainge, and there's been a lot of criticism this week towards Danny Ainge. Uh, I think all of it is warranted. Uh, He's a good general manager. He's done a nice job running the Celtics. But we need to be honest about this. Danny Ainge has not done a good enough job because this team isn't aggressive enough. This team has not, at any point recently, put forth an effort in the offseason to acquire talent that is worthy of them being a championship team. They have passed on too many good players at points in the last few years. Kyrie Irving left them. Gordon Hayward just left them. Al Horford just left them. And they never replaced those guys significantly. They never brought in a permanent replacement to fill in the roles that those guys had. They just haven't done it. And that's their issue now. They don't have the depth. They don't have the experience. And Danny Ainge has to look in the mirror and say, what could I have done better? And here's what they could have done better. They could have traded for Anthony Davis. They could have tried that. They could have possibly gotten into the James Harden sweepstakes this year. Although Jalen Brown's proving me wrong on that. They could have made a big trade last season when it looked like they needed uh, an extra boost. And they probably could have used it considering they lost in the conference finals. There have been opportunities for Danny Ainge to be aggressive. And most of the time, he has decided to keep his young guys, uh, use his draft picks, uh, accumulate a ton of capital on draft night. And sure, that's that's a decent NBA model. That's a, that's a, that's a, a, a way to win. But it's not a way to win championships in today's NBA. You need to get stars need to get superstars. And you have a really nice young start with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Those are two young cornerstones that you can build on for the next 10 years. But are you going to put enough pieces around them? Hasn't He hasn't done that so far. Kemba was a nice pickup last year, but he's hurt uh, constantly. He can't play back-to-backs the way he used to. His knees look really, really bad. He doesn't get the same lift he once got. So he has his, he's had his problems. Marcus Smart has been injured for the last month. He's had his issues, and he struggled shooting at different points in his career. What are you going to do to make the moves that put them in position to win a championship? He hasn't done it so far, and we'll see if he can do it in the future. But again, this doesn't surprise me from the Celtics. They're right now in the ninth spot in the Eastern Conference, so they wouldn't make the playoffs if the season ended today. They're behind the Charlotte Hornets, who were supposed to be awful. They're behind the Chicago Bulls, who were supposed to be absolutely just abysmal. And they're barely, they're only one game ahead of the Atlanta Hawks, who are even younger than the Celtics are. They're tied right now with the awful New York Knicks, a team that has played 
much better than we thought they'd play, but they're still not very good. And the Orlando Magic, who have lost Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac for the season, are only two games behind them. So something is really wrong with the Celtics. And they've lost three straight now. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. It is just not going well. And thank God the All-Star break's coming up in about a week because they seriously need to step away for a few days and clear their heads and get things right. But if they keep playing like this, even if they do get to the playoffs, they're going to face one of these top teams in the East, whether it's like a Brooklyn or a Milwaukee or somebody, and get smoked. And, and that would be atrocious for the Celtics, considering where they were a year ago in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals. So we'll see what they do. We'll see if they make any major move at the deadline. I don't foresee that happening, but they need to. But if the last three years has been any indication, Danny Ainge will probably look at his young guys, the guys who play very few minutes, and think that, oh, you know what? One day they'll be pretty good and ultimately pass on winning now. That's the wrong strategy to take in today's NBA, and he has cost the Celtics many wins for that. All right, so transitioning over to baseball, uh, I was deciding what I wanted to do for my last topic today, and I thought about talking about Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson and and those situations, um, you know, as as to whether they might get traded. And I've talked about that before, and those stories are kind of getting old a little bit, so we'll see what happens with those in the offseason. But I figured this story about the Seattle Mariners was more unique and more interesting for episode number 21. So let's talk about the Seattle Mariners and Kevin Mather. So if you haven't seen the comments that Kevin Mather, the now former CEO of the Seattle Mariners made, uh, he said some pretty awful things about some of the guys within his organization, uh, both players, now coaches, it was bad. So I'll go through them uh, just so people who may not have seen the comments can get a little bit of a taste of, of what happened. But he had a public interview session uh, to, to some fans and season ticket holders recently, and he just spoke bad about as many guys as he could possibly talk about in that 45-ish minute session. So the first thing that he said was about one of the team's better pitchers of the last decade in Hisashi Iwakuma, who was now a scout with the organization. And he said that Hisashi Iwakuma uh, doesn't speak good English, and he's tired as an organization to pay for his translator. That's horrible to say. He said very similar things about Julio Rodriguez, one of the team's top prospects, uh, an outfielder who should be in the big leagues within a couple of years. And he said that his English, he's from the uh, Dominican Republic, his English is not very good uh, either. Now, if you listen to, uh, to Julio Rodriguez and you see some of the things he's done social media-wise... You get the sense that his English is much better than uh, Mather is giving him credit for. But hey, he didn't like his English, apparently, so he wanted to speak bad about it. And again, this is one of the best young prospects this team has. Another prospect, a former Met, who I have a lot of um, happy memories about, Jared Kalenic. He spoke on Jared Kalenic's situation and said that Kalenic, who should be ready for the big leagues this season, uh, essentially he essentially manipulated uh, admitted that he has been manipulating with clinic service time, which essentially means that he is going to keep him in the minor leagues to start the season for a couple of weeks, and then once that period is over, he'll bring him up to the big leagues, and he will be the starting outfielder for the Mariners the rest of the year. The only reason he starts the season in the minor leagues is so that the Mariners get an extra year of him under their team control, so he's a year removed from free agency, 
And he also admitted that he that he and the organization offered Kalenic a contract extension for six years, which would have taken him uh, this season and then far beyond with some team options after that. And essentially now they are punishing him for Kalenic opting out of that contract offer and betting on upon himself. So those were some of the things he said. He also called one of the team's best players in Kyle Seeger uh, overpaid. And he called one of the best pitchers on the team in Marco Gonzalez, quote, boring. So that's the type of message he's trying to sell to his fans and to those people who who following the Mariners. It's it's disgraceful. It's embarrassing, and it's it's one of the worst things any baseball executive could possibly say. So again, called uh, said some of his players don't speak English good enough, well enough, I should say. Uh, said that Jared Kalenic doesn't deserve to be in the big leagues because they want to manipulate his service time, and said that Kyle Seager is overpaid and said that Marco Gonzalez is boring. Crazy to wrap your head around all that. And as insulting as that all seems, let me bring up one point that maybe people aren't considering. This is actually a great thing for for baseball. And it seems counterintuitive, but here's why. When it comes to the Kalenic situation especially, with the CBA expiring within one year and a possible lockout upon us, for the start of 2022. They can now use, the players, I, I should say, the Players Association can use this clinic situation to essentially prove that owners and executives are manipulating with player service time for their own personal gain. That'll give the player, Players Association a lot of leverage when those negotiations actually happen, and they might be able to eliminate or at least decrease an issue that has become increasingly relevant within baseball. This is not the first time we've seen teams keep guys down in the minor leagues. It happened with Ronald Acuna. It happened with Vlad Guerrero. Uh, there was a very controversial case with it with Chris Bryant back five or six years ago. So we've seen this before, but it never got discussed enough. Now there's proof for the players to go into those negotiations and say, we have proof that this team was trying to do this to one of our prospects, to one of the prospects. Can we fight on this issue and try and make it better for the players? And that's great, because as we've seen, these owners and the front offices are not willing to spend enough money to go on a winning track, to be among the top organizations in baseball. There's very few teams out there that we have seen are trying to actively win. And I've talked about this before on the show. There's far too much tanking in baseball than we should be accept- than it should be acceptable. And now the players have proof as to that the fact that guys aren't spending money, calling the uh, one guy overpaid. Uh, they, they can point to the manipulation of service time. And also, we can start to work on what has become a really toxic culture in baseball after what's been a turbulent offseason. These comments by Mather, who obviously then resigned afterwards, uh, which was a couple days ago, now they see that there are some verbally abusive people uh, within, the organization, within these organizations. We've seen it within the Mets uh, with Mickey Calloway, uh, with, with things that he said and uh, and Jared Porter and some of the horrible texts that he sent uh, that woman. So there's been a toxic culture that's built up in baseball and it all starts with the ownerships, uh, the ownership groups and with the front offices. And hopefully this situation, which seems like a bad thing on the surface, can actually turn out to help the players in their pursuit of wealth and, and just uh, the ability to be treated fairly uh, within, within these next future years in, in Major League Baseball. So it's a tough situation. It's I feel horrible for some of the guys that were verbally insulted. 
but maybe it ultimately becomes a good thing. And maybe, and as we've seen this so far in spring training, these players are saying that it has brought them a little bit closer together, something to rally around, something to prove the doubters wrong with. So it must have been hurtful when they first heard it. And I think uh, Marco Gonzalez even uh, poked some fun at it on social media, putting in his Twitter bio that he's boring, which is, I thought was very funny. Uh, but but as, as hurtful as these comments may have seemed and as horrible as all this was for Mather, thankfully he's gone now, and maybe it ends up being a good thing for baseball in the future. All right, we'll take a quick break, and then we will wrap up with Noah's number one performer of the week here on episode 21. This episode of Schwartz on Sports is brought to you by Invader Coffee. Invader Coffee is an ultra-premium, veteran-owned coffee company proudly delivering only the best coffee your hard-earned money can buy. They aim to serve only the highest quality organic air-roasted coffee beans sourced from free trade farms all over the world. They keep things simple, the best coffee at an affordable price in order to provide you with the value you deserve for your morning boost. 100% fair trade, 100% organic coffee beans, 100% air-roasted, 100% money-back guarantee. Visit invadercoffee.com and enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Hey all, welcome back uh, to Schwartz on Sports, episode number 21. Here to wrap up the episode with Noah's number one performer of the week, as always. And for me, my number one performer of this week is Chris Finch. Chris Finch is the new, brand new, Minnesota Timberwolves head coach. Now you may have seen this story uh, that came out earlier this week. On Monday night, I believe, the Timberwolves lost to the New York Knicks, and following the game, Herson Rosas, the GM, decided to fire Ryan Saunders, who had been there for a couple of years and had mostly lost a lot of games his entire tenure. But they made a coaching change, and it was a coaching change unlike any coaching change that I have seen in a very long time. I cannot remember any other example like this. Uh, that I have observed. So the Timberwolves decided to hire Chris Finch. And what makes Chris Finch so unique is that he was the Toronto Raptors lead assistant this year. So he was in Toronto for the first 35 games of this season. And they decided to fire Ryan Saunders and bring in somebody else from a different team to run the Timberwolves for the rest of this season. I've never seen anything like it. Typically, and we've seen this a million times, a coach gets fired midseason. And somebody else on the staff, whether it's uh, the lead assistant or maybe uh, somebody who in a player development role, whatever it is, somebody who's already in-house, in the building, on the staff, comes in and takes over as the interim coach. We just saw it in football a couple times in this past NFL season. Bill O'Brien was fired in Houston. Romeo Cornell takes over. He's the lead assistant, the associate head coach. It made perfect sense. In Detroit, Matt Patricia got fired. Uh, towards the end, and Daryl Bevel took over. He's highly qualified, could totally lead the team for four or five weeks, whatever it was. And he was the interim coach for the rest of the season. You almost never see somebody from another organization come in and get the job. It's almost unheard of. So that's what the Timberwolves are doing. And I got to congratulate Chris Finch on this because it's quite an achievement and it's it's an accomplishment, but this is a really difficult head coaching job. And he's going to get a multi-year extension, uh, and he'll be here for a while, but this is a tough job to do because there's a lot of challenges with Minnesota. They've got injuries all over the place, starting with D'Angelo Russell. They're really bad on defense. There's a lot to learn there. Uh, they have to develop Anthony Edwards, the number one overall pick. 
there's a relationship to, to mend and, and improve with their superstar Carl Anthony Towns. There's the Malik Beasley situation, a 20-point-per-game scorer for you, who just got suspended for 12 games and has had on-court, uh, off-court problems, I should say, through his whole career. There's a lot, to, a lot of work here to do, and you also have the potential to get a top-three pick next year. Uh, if the pick falls within the top three, then they get it. If not, it goes to Golden State. So there's another possible uh, player development project you need to work on. And this is maybe the worst team in the NBA, so there's a ton of work to do. The other challenge that faces Chris Finch is that he doesn't have the full support of those who are his colleagues and those who are in the organization. There's somebody else within the organization who was in the building all year that I think was the perfect candidate to get this interim job and possibly get the full-time gig following the season, and that's David Vanderpool. He's been in Portland for like seven or eight years. He's beloved by guys like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. And instead of giving him the opportunity, who was already in-house, they gave it to somebody from the Toronto Raptors organization and Chris Finch. So it's a great job for him. It's a great opportunity for Chris Finch. I've heard nothing but good things about him uh, in past seasons when he got coaching interviews, and he's gotten quite a few. He's been around basketball a very long time. But it was very surprising to see the Timberwolves fire Ryan Saunders and not give the opportunity to David Vanderpool. It was shocking. So, again, he's my winner of the week, Chris Finch. Congratulations to him on the opportunity. He's got his work cut out for him, but uh, we'll see if he's, if he's worthy of uh, doing it and making this team, which has been a, a perennial loser in the NBA for a long time, let's see if he can make them a winning organization once again. All right, that'll do it for me here on Schwartz on Sports, episode number 21. We'll be back with more content uh, coming soon. Make sure you follow me on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on social media at Schwartz on Sport. And just stay tuned for what's coming because there's going to be a lot more. Uh, Enjoy everyone's weekend, and I will talk to you soon.